from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. series that we're going through, Romans 5 to 9, continues today. Uh, the text that I have will be 26, chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. But before we get started unpacking that scripture, which, by the way, is one of my absolute scriptures, favorite scriptures in God's Word, I've noticed one thing. Maybe, maybe you can join me in this. Ten years ago, I had a couple of favorite scriptures, and then I get another one. And I get another one. It's like I'm collecting favorite scriptures. And I suspect when I finally die, you know, if I got another 25 years or whatever, I'll have a lot of favorite scriptures. But this one today is, has touched my heart and is dear to me. And maybe, uh, maybe you'll feel that way by the time we get through it. Before we get started though, I want to lay a foundation. I want to do a little groundwork to prepare our hearts for what God is going to show us in our text. So right now, I would like us to take us to a scene in the Gospel of John where Jesus is gathered together with his disciples just hours before he's going to the cross, hours before he's arrested. And... He has things that he needs to say to them in the limited time they have left. And the room is filled with sorrow. That's the atmosphere of the room. Jesus even commented to them, I see that you are sorrowful because I have said that I'm leaving. But then he gave them this promise, along with a lot of other encouraging words. But this one jumped out to me, and it's what I've chosen for my title to this message. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, orphan, we know, is, is a child that has either been abandoned by his parents or his parents have died and left him to fend for himself. Um, he has no one to lead him. He has no one to protect him. He has no one there to see that his needs are met. And Jesus said, he declared to his disciples, I won't leave you like that. I will come to you. And then he told them in what way that he would come to him. He said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go away, I will ask the Father and he will send him to you. He will not only be with you, but he will be in you forever. So he's encouraging them that he is going to come to him in the third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. He's not just going to be in with them. He's going to be in them. We just sang a song a few minutes ago where it said, oh, beautiful song. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He pointed out that God's in front, God's behind, God's alongside. They, they left something out. Did you catch it? He's now in. You got it. He is now in us. 
He's not only before, behind, and alongside. He is in us. So Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And this is how that looks. If he goes, he's going to send his Holy Spirit that's just not going to be walking with them and talking with them, which that had to be amazing, to walk and talk with the Son of God, to be his companion, to ask your questions. But he said something's even better is going to happen when I go. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you. He said that is better. It's to your advantage that I go away. I won't leave you as orphans. He says, so the big idea as we move into our text is this. The promised gift of the Holy Spirit is unceasingly at work in perfect union with God the Father and the Son in the lives of his chosen ones from predestination to glorification. From before the cradle to long after the grave. He made a promise. There's not much we're taking out of this life with us when we go to be with the Lord. But one thing we know that we're taking, he says the Holy Spirit is in you forever more. That means through the rest of it, both now and coming to faith and through the rest of eternity, the Holy Spirit is within us forever more. I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to mentally think about what forever is. Everything we know in this life has a beginning and it has an end. You build a house, it slowly rots and falls into the ground. This body starts collapsing within 20 years of being born. Everything has an end, but there will be no end to the Holy Spirit's dwelling in us. That's an amazing thought. So let's stand together, and we're going to read our text from God's Word. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 26 down through verse 30. We stand in respect for God's Word, and we expect Him to speak to us today through it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. You may be seated. Well, for my first point as we jump into our text here, is heaven's helper is provided. He has not left us as orphans to fend for ourselves. 
He provides provisions for our journey, our journey of faith. The one that is being uh, highlighted here is the Holy Spirit, our helper. In John 13 up through 17, he's referred to us four times by Jesus himself as our helper, the word of truth. He also explains all the role that the Holy Spirit has in our lives, which we're not going to be able to get to. We'll get to a little bit of that in just a moment. But our helper has been provided. Now, long time ago, I broke what I believe to be the four main provisions that God has given us as children of God. We're not orphans. He's adopted us as sons, and he's given us provisions for the journey. One He's given us his word, the word of truth. When we're surrounded by lies and darkness of the enemy, we don't need to be blind. We have the word of truth that tells us what is true and directs our path. Number two, he's given us prayer, an open door to God's office, so to speak. He's left the door open and invited us to come to him in prayer. He's given us this, the gathering of worshipers. He's called us to gather. And he says, as we gather, look for ways that you can encourage one another to love and good deeds. So he's called us to come together with a premeditated motive. That I'm coming into this gathering looking to someone I can encourage. Some, someone that I can uh, give, give them a word from the Lord. Someone that I can pray for. Last but not least is number four. He's given us the provision of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God himself, this is, this is wild. God himself come to dwell in me. That's the promise that he's given us. And you want to know something too, as I was preparing this message, it dawned on me that there's only one place on this earth where we see all four of those provisions at the same time. It's right here, right now. That's why God called us together. So he starts off. Likewise. Now, I'm not going to break apart every single word in here. But likewise is to, in the same way that he has just been talking about in chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us. So he's referring back to all of chapter 8, where from the beginning all the way through, there seems to be interwoven in here the work of the Holy Spirit through the whole chapter. God is working in our lives through the Holy Spirit all the way through here. As a matter of fact, I counted 20 references to the Holy Spirit and His work in that first chapter. And today, we're going to look at another one. So he says, this Holy Spirit comes alongside and within to help us in our weakness. I don't think we need to tell or need somebody to tell us that we are weak, not physically weak or pretty limited as far as our, our battle against sin in this walk of faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says that the sin which so easily entangles us. That's kind of the condition that we find ourselves in. But the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our weakness, coming to our aid. And then he goes on. Almost like he's saying, and as an example, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
Let me give you an example. Prayer, for instance. He says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. Have you ever been in prayer? I know I have many times. Have you ever been in prayer and you don't know exactly how to pray for a given situation? Matter of fact, you, you may even feel inadequate. Why would God want, want me to, to pray for something when he already knows better than I do? So it's, it kind of freezes me in my prayer. I don't know how to pray. Am I praying according to the will of God? Well, the Holy Spirit then comes in and engages with us. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, before I I break this down, I want us to see something that often goes off under overlooked in this passage. What's going on here? Yes, the Holy Spirit is being described in how He helps us, how He comes alongside, how He works within us, how He opens His eyes, our eyes to the Word. But what we don't want to miss is the interaction that's going on between the three members of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come to the Lord in prayer, and we don't know how to pray as we ought. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and intercedes for us. But the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, and God the Father knows the mind of the Holy Spirit. So we're praying according to His will as the Holy Spirit interprets our prayers. And then, if we read a little bit further, down in verse 34 of the same chapter, it says that Jesus is interceding for us. So we're seeing behind the scenes the picture of what's going on in the union of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how their work is all intertwined for what reason? For their work in our lives, helping us, directing us through this walk of faith, through this life, in a way that honors and pleases Him. Throughout chapter 8, We see the Holy Spirit working. Verse 2, the Spirit sets us free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. There's Jesus and the Holy Spirit working together. The Spirit brings life and peace in verse 6. In verse 11, the Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. Also in verse 11, the Spirit has come to dwell within us. Also in verse 11, the Spirit will also give life to our mortal bodies, speaking of our bodily resurrection at Christ's second coming, when he raises us up to glorified bodies, immortal bodies. Verse 13, the Spirit assists us in putting to death the deeds of the body, that is, the deeds of sin. He's working with us to overcome those deeds. Verse 13, Verse 13, the Spirit leads us and identifies us as sons of God. Dave York, Pastor Dave York talked about that a little last week when he says that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the seal of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that we truly are the children of God. As a matter of fact, in that passage it says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, so we know that we belong to Him. 
We know that we have been purchased by his blood because this Holy Spirit only comes to dwell within those who have come to saving faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then in verse 16, the Spirit assures us or guarantees us that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Twenty times that work is referred to in chapter 8. And just a few weeks ago, one of the ladies in our church, Patsy Wells, gave me a sheet of paper that was simply titled 50 Ways That the Service, the Spirit Serves serves in our in our life and it's it's amazing to read if you want to read it just google type in uh 50 ways that the service or the spirit serves in our life i'm tripling over the, the, the s words that right now dave whatever it was i think it rubbed off on me hopefully i can break free from that before i get too much for because the spirit i have to say a lot of times <laughs> okay um so now we see uh, the situation and our dilemma in prayer, we don't pray as we ought. I know that for me, my natural instinct is to pray that any type of suffering be removed. Maybe you're the same. Uh, it wasn't uh, just a couple of weeks ago that a group of us went out to pray for a young man uh, that's sick. And our prayer is that that sickness would be removed. God is at work at that young man's life. And so we don't know what God hopes to accomplish through that sickness. So we don't know exactly how to pray as we ought. And so sometimes it has a tendency to freeze me in my prayer, not knowing what to do. But that's where the, the Holy Spirit enters in. I don't know how to pray as I ought. I want to pray according to God's will. Enter the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then takes over. It's as though he's saying, I know I got this. And he hears my prayers. And it says that he interprets those so that the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit knows the mind of the Father. See the interplay going on here? And so my prayers are translated according to God's will. So when we prayed for that young man to be healed, our heart was, Lord, we trust you for the outcome. We trust in what you are doing, what you want to accomplish in that young man's life. That's part of the struggle with not knowing how to pray uh, sometimes. But if we can kind of unravel what's going on here in prayer. We pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes according to God's will because He knows the Father knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And He answers according to the Spirit's intervention on my behalf. While at the same time, the Son, Jesus Christ, is interceding continually for us. Folks, this is a win-win situation. We are called to come. So now that we can come with confidence, like it says in Hebrews, it says come, in, come confidently before the throne of grace that we may obtain grace and help and mercy in time of need. So he's telling us 
Be confident to come. That's not a prideful confidence that he's talking about. He's saying, be confident in what I have promised I will do. So we simply come as imperfect people, trusting our Heavenly Father that is perfect, trusting the work of the Holy Spirit that He said that He would do in interpreting these prayers. And I bring what's heavy on my heart in groanings. Now, we got to stop for a minute. Just take a look at this groanings. Three times in this chapter, it talks about something groaning. It says that creation itself is groaning. We ourselves groan, and the Holy Spirit is groaning. Creation is under a curse because of our sin. All of creation was cursed. We see it around us. Stars burn out and fall from heaven. Meteors collide with planets. Our planet has earthquakes that tear it apart. We have floods. We have hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes that kill millions. Our earth is under a curse. And it says it's groaning under that curse. The picture here is that it says that it's, it's, it's groaning under the weight of the judgment of sin, but at the same time it says it's eagerly longing for something. It's eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God when it will be set free from its bondage to corruption. It's looking forward to Christ's coming where there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will not be groaning under suffering, will not be groaning under judgment, will not be taking lives from people. It will be perfect. Sometimes I watch these nature shows and how beautiful it is. I say how horrific it can be. As the cruelty that happens in nature happens, that will be done away. The day is coming when... All that they are eagerly longing for, all that creation is eagerly longing for will be here. We ourselves groan, don't we? When we're, when we're looking at someone that is suffering, we look at the carnage of war that's happening, uh, over in, uh, the Ukraine. Um, we look at a friend that's been diagnosed with cancer. We look at a young man who has been sidelined because of a disease. And our hearts groan within us because in the midst of the pain, our hearts are eagerly waiting for something else. We are eagerly waiting for the completion of our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Again, that happens at Christ's return with a new heaven and new earth. And we are raised with an immortal body. The mortal has been put behind. There's no more sickness There's no more disease. There's no more separation. We are in the presence of God eternally in all the joy that that brings. As a matter of fact, the presence of the Lord is the greatest gift that heaven has to offer. When Jesus was saying goodbye to his apostles before he went to the cross, he said, if I go away, I will come again. If I go away, I'll prepare a place for you. And I'll come again and receive you to myself. And here's the joy of it, that where I am, you may be also. We're united with Christ now through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That promise that he gave his disciples, we're united with him through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But there's also coming a day when faith will be sight and we'll be with him eternally. 
and that Holy Spirit will be in us forevermore. I don't know about you, but I like that word, forevermore. That sounds so good. That day is coming. So we groan in the midst of pain, eager looking for all of the promises of God to come to fruition. That day's coming. As a matter of fact, it says that the suffering this world is not worth comparing with what that day has for us. So the, the Holy Spirit intercedes as we're under this weight of suffering. And we in America are shielded from quite a bit of the suffering that the world knows. But we won't avoid it completely. It's going to come to us all. And I was impressed by a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Dave Quilla uh, preached a message. He was at the first part of this chapter, and he said this. He said, I do not invite or intentionally seek out suffering just because I know that God will do something good of it. He's not going to seek it out. It's not fun. But he said this, but when it comes, I have learned to embrace it. He knows that when suffering comes, it's because God's doing a work in his life. He's doing something of good in his life. And he has matured to the level for now, when it happens, he can embrace it. doesn't mean he necessarily likes it, but it means that he understands that God is at work through our suffering. And we'll find out what that is in just a few minutes. If I turn back to chapter 5, and you can turn there if you'd like, Romans chapter 5, Paul gives us a little explanation of what this what this looks like, suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Wow. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. So suffering produces something. That God is at work, His Holy Spirit is at work using something difficult for us. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. He gives us just a glimpse of one way that God is using the suffering that comes into our lives. Whether whether it's physical illness, whether it's financial struggles, broken relationships, or the carnage of war that we see going on. The Holy Spirit is at work. Not only interceding for us in prayer, but he's also interceding for us in the circumstances of our life. And so the circumstances isn't the right word. I was, I was hunting for the right word. Circumstances sounds like this is just, uh, uh, just happened over the course of things. The circumstances of our life are directed by God because he has a goal in mind. He has something in mind that he's, he's doing in our lives. So we, we move on from the, the idea of prayer, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things includes the good things, the pleasurable things, the enjoyable things. Enjoying a sunrise on a camping trip as you see the first light come over the hill in the morning. You ever been there just enjoying that as the first light breaks over the hill? It's beautiful. Or maybe your thing is the end of the day, viewing the sunset. The joy of a family, the love of family, 
Or if, uh, if that's not the case, the, the, the joy of the family within the gathering of believers. God has given us pleasurable things to enjoy. So the good things. But then there's the, the bad things. The struggles in life. He says he's going to cause those to work together for good. Those are the things which could be the normal suffering in life, the normal struggles in life. Uh, don't have enough to make my car payment. Lost my job. Didn't get the promotion that I wanted. A lot of different things that are pretty much normal to this, this life, those bad things. So I'm going to use those things for your good. Don't be afraid of them. Embrace them. Because God is going to work some good there. The ugly things gets tougher now when there's an abused child, when there's uh, the carnage of war, families are separated, children are made into orphans, people are killed. God says, I will use all things to accomplish my work in your life. And the Holy Spirit is that Spirit of God that's working within us to help us understand the circumstances that we face and that God is present with us. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. We hear that recited at many funerals. Uh, But if you continue on down through it, he also says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What he's saying there is, I have such peace with God that I can sit down and enjoy a meal, although I'm surrounded by people that want to kill me. I'm surrounded by things that want to harm me. I belong to God, and I'm in his hands. It's causing all things to work together for good. But here's the thing we have to learn here. We have to pump the brakes just a little bit here. He said that this is not for everybody. This is not universalism. He says this is exclusive to a certain group of people, not everybody. To those who love God. The only way to love God is through the Holy Spirit's work within us. We already know that we love ourselves, we love all sorts of different things, but the love for God is different, and it requires a work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to love Him. When I was a young man, uh, in my early 20s, uh, I was reading the Word, and I came across this scripture. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Here's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. It's your whole being. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And I realized that the love I possessed was not at that level. But here's God telling me, Jesus telling me, speaking to me from his word, saying this is the greatest thing, this is the best thing. So I began to pray on that day. Lord, I want this. You said it's the best thing. I want to love you that way, and I want to love other people that way. So I thought, because I prayed that prayer, it must be according to the will of God, the next day I would wake up and it would be love. Music would be singing, birds singing, the sun is shining, I love everybody, I love God, this is great. No, it did not happen that way. But I'll tell you how it did happen. To my amazement, what he began to do through the work of his Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see how he revealed himself in his word. Step by step, day by day, I'm reading about Jesus going to the cross saying it's finished. 
My God took on human flesh, humbled himself, took on human flesh, bore the sin that I earned the punishment for on his innocence, and he took it to the cross. He said, no man takes my life, not the Romans, not the Jews, not the people that drove the nails. He gave up his life of his own free will. That's the depth of his love for me. He began to show himself and reveal himself on every page, it seemed, until the Holy Spirit had caused my depth of love for him to grow exponentially. Week to week, day to day, year to year, I'm not arrived at fully there yet. But I know that he who has begun a good work in me is going to complete it on that day when he comes for me. Holy Spirit working within us. Only those who are Christ and have that Spirit working within them love God. Only they recognize that I love Him because He first loved me. And then when I examine the love which He loved me, then I love Him even more. So I have to refer back to chapter 5 one more time and just complete that passage that I was reading where it talks about suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through what? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That love that He pours out is first of all His love for me. And that engenders within me a love for him and a love for other people. It revolutionizes how we think of love, how we think of prayer, and how we think of God's working in our lives. Heaven's purpose revealed, point number two. <clears throat> so we have to ask ourselves, what is... What is the point? What is the purpose of what God is doing? If His Holy Spirit is in me, and that's a great gift that He's working within me, to what end? He says, we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Okay. There's a mystery. What's His purpose? What's He trying to achieve? What is He going to achieve? So we have to read on. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. There's the bullseye. There's the target that God is aiming at. The work of his Holy Spirit, the presentation of his word, the gathering of worshipers, prayer, the work of the Holy Spirit, It has a target in mind. God has a goal, and I hesitate to use the word goal because a goal could be something that I intend to reach, but I'm not sure if I'll get there. It doesn't work that way with God. God does not miss the bullseye, ever. If that is his target, if his target and his purpose in me is to conform me to the image of his Son, that he's going to hit that target. Philippians chapter 1 tells me that I believe that he who began a good work in me is faithful and just to complete it. That is, God will hit the bullseye. Not just the target, but the bullseye. 
conforming me to the image of his son. That is the purpose of what he is causing. All things to work together for good is not necessarily the pleasure in my life, but rather it is conforming us to the image of his son. His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Again, here we see this interplay going on between the members of the Trinity in working out this thing in my life, causing all things to work together for good. We can see it in different people in God's Word. We look at the life of Job. We all pick on Job a lot because it's so obvious. Uh, Job was faced with suffering I don't know how he could endure. His children were all killed in one day. His business was taken away. His cattle were destroyed. His wealth was gone. And then his health was gone. So much so that there were boils on him that it says that he he scraped the pus off of him. Sat in sackcloth and ashes. But God had a purpose and a goal. He never did tell Job what the purpose and the goal was. What he did was explain to who, to Job who he was. He wanted Job to see clearly who he was dealing with. Job said, my ears have heard about you. I've heard the facts. But now my eyes see you. He's talking about the eyes of his heart. Now he sees and knows God. As he's trying to determine why it is that God did this, he comes to the point and the conclusion, he doesn't need to question God, he just needs to trust God. We see it in the life of Joseph. For Joseph's brothers, because they were jealous of him, they sold him into slavery, took him to Egypt, ended up in prison for who knows how long. And I'm sure that while he was in prison, he's thinking, How can I serve God in here? Why am I here? I want to be free. And ultimately, God had a plan. He didn't know what it was at that time. All he knew is he was hurting. But I suspect that God built a level of trust in that young man in those years that was probably exactly what he wanted to see happen. But there was more to it than that. We know the story that all of his family... There was famine in the land, and they had come to him for food. He had been elevated in Egypt, and he was prepared to be able to care for his family. And he said this statement. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So as Quilla had reminded us, we don't want to invite suffering and pain. But when it comes, we want to embrace it, that God is at work in our lives. We don't necessarily have to like it. But we need to trust that God is working out his work in our lives in an amazing way. For what? What's the target? He actually reveals it to us, conforming to the image of his son. That's an amazing idea, an amazing thought, that even in the midst of those situations, God is at work. Let me come down to my, my final point. Heaven's work is accomplished. For those whom he foreknew, it says. Now, I'm not going to do a debate on election. That's not what this is. I'm just going to teach what God's word says. Whom he foreknew. 
the new, the knowing of someone in God's word is an intimate knowledge. As a matter of fact, that word is used to describe what goes on between a husband and a wife in their union in a physical way. It's not in a crass way that he is using it. He's saying, that's how intimate my knowledge was of you before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. that He knew us before the foundations of the world. He foreknew us. And those whom he foreknew, it says that he has predestined us. Predestined us. And I like to define predestination as a predetermined plan of God with an assured outcome. A lot of times we can think of our plans, and I've made a lot of these plans, that I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to accomplish that, and this is where I'm going to be in 10 years. I have seen God change those plans over and over and over again. My plans change because I change. God does not change, nor do his plans. When he predestines something, it's a predetermined plan with an assured outcome. We have confidence there, confidence in a God that does not change. And his plan is set in stone. I'm going to conform you to the image of my son. I knew you before creation. He knew us long before the cradle. He predestined us before the cradle. And there's an assured outcome in what God is doing through the work of his Holy Spirit that lasts far beyond the grave. So now we see God presenting his purpose. There's the target. It's right in front of us. Now this should revolutionize how we pray, shouldn't it? Suddenly we now know what God's main purpose is and his target for our lives is conforming us to the image of his son. Now, I can understand, okay, if that's God's main purpose, then sometimes in prayer, my prayer needs to be, Lord, have your way with me in this suffering. I trust you in where you're taking me. Because you're not just by my side. You're indwelling me. You're with me in this. You said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. God's promises will be fulfilled. And again, that's the urging of our heart. was the consummation of all these promises that he has made. And that's our, 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 the urging of our heart today. I'm longing for the consummation. I don't want to be morbid, but sometimes I think and muse about the, uh, the day that my life on this earth will be done. And I will be in his presence. I don't have to wait for the second coming. The second coming is whenever he chooses to come and get me, whether in death or whether his return. Either way, not too far in the future, he's coming for me. And I'll begin to realize all those promises. My adoption as a son will be finalized. I didn't notice as I was reading this chapter that in the beginning portion of this chapter, it says that we have been adopted as sons. Here it just says, we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons. There is a here and now, and there's a yet to come. Here and now, the legal papers have been drawn up. I'm legally his son. I'm his adopted son. But it'll be finalized when my faith is sight, when I go to be with him 
and I'm in his presence with all the rest that have gone on that are in his presence as well. What amazing promises that he has for us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And then he wraps it up with this very rapid description of how he's going to get us from point A to point B. How does he get us to from being a lost, dead unbeliever to where we're going? It says, he predestined us. There's that predestined word again. A plan of God with an assured outcome. And those whom he predestined, he also called. I want to put the brakes on just there for a minute. Our calling in the Lord has two essential elements to it. First of all, first element is described in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. I was spiritually dead, a spiritual dead man. But he raised me up together with Christ. He raised me up. Ezekiel puts it this way. Well, actually, God speaking in the book of Ezekiel. He said that I'm going to remove a heart of stone from you and replace it with a heart of flesh. Is that up there on the board? There it is. There it is. I love this scripture because of the imagery that he's putting here. Folks, before coming to faith, our heart was a rock. A stone can't pump blood, can't respond to God. It's a rock. God says, through the power of his Holy Spirit, I'm going to remove that rock. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in there. A heart that can pump blood. A heart that can respond to God. He does a miraculous work in our lives in removing that unresponsive heart and replacing it with a heart capable and able to respond to him. I believe that's the miracle of our age that is so often This sermon overlooked. has been proudly given it's in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hundreds. Be sure to check out our YouTube Thousands channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. Are having for more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web with that heart of flesh, they can respond to the second element. A very clear gospel message. I'm going to take a, turn a page here to Romans chapter 10, over one page. Verse 17. It says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. There has to be a gospel presentation. Jesus Christ died for our sins. We recognize that we are a sinner. We're lost. With that black cloud of judgment hanging over my head. That's where I was. Jesus Christ went to the cross, took on my dark black cloud on himself. He took on the guilt and the punishment of my sin. The wrath of God was poured out on him as he willingly gave up his life. 
and cried out these wonderful words, it is finished. As he earned for me what I couldn't earn for myself, the gospel message, Jesus Christ died. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. But he sent him into the world on a rescue mission. He's coming for me. He's coming for you. That's a wonderful, wonderful, amazing thought. So then it also says in Romans 10, starting with verse 9, because of this knowledge, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with mouth one confesses and is saved. I would urge anybody here who does not see themselves in that place, maybe you've never heard the gospel message, maybe you've never understood what that was and what's being offered to you. Maybe this morning you've had the heart of stone removed and it's been replaced with a heart of flesh and you're responding to the gospel message. The second part that I urge you, give him your heart. He's already there. And then the promises that we're talking about are yours. All of them are for you. He then wraps up his discourse. It's actually not wrapping up. Dave's actually get the pleasure of wrapping this thing up next week at Sermon on the Mound. It's going to be awesome. He wraps it up and says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those, you notice that between called and justified, there's nothing else? That's what we call an effectual call. Those whom he called, he also justified. That means that I am standing a man just before God. He has declared me just. Corinthians tells us that him who knew no sin became sin for me so that I could become righteousness before God. Jesus took on my weight of sin. I think we sang a song in leading up to this that was describing that great exchange. He took my sin and bore him and gave me his righteousness. I know who I am. So to me, that's amazing that I stand before God with his righteousness because mine doesn't look too pretty. Amazing. And then he said, those whom he justified, he also glorified. You notice he says that in the past tense? He's also glorified. I thought glorification came when we went to be with him. Well, it does. But two things. First of all, it's so absolutely sure. Remember, he predestined with an assured outcome. He predestined us to that outcome. So it's so absolutely certain that he speaks of it as though it's already happened. That full glorification with him is coming. But there's a glorification that we've experienced right now. In that we have received the indwelling Holy Spirit. That unites us with Christ. And that, my friends, and that work that's going on is, is glory. So we have a taste of the glory to come right in the here and now because God is dwelling within our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amazing? Yes. So then, glorification, final glorification, and we go to be with Him. When the groanings of creation are no more, 
when it is set free from the bondage to corruption. When the sons of God are revealed for all creation to see. When our adoptions as God's sons is finalized in his presence. When the redemption of our bodies has been accomplished. This mortal will have put on immortality. When death is swallowed up in victory. When we are forever with Jesus, our great King and Savior. Folks, I'm going to steal a couple of passages from Pastor Dave's message next week. If we drop, I just can't leave without this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can you even imagine? The wealth of heaven has been expended so that I could be an adopted son. And gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Then he closes the chapter. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I would like to point out one quick thing in closing. He began this chapter by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Shall anything separate us from the love of God? In who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. He bookends this with us belonging to Jesus Christ through salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, how do we say thank you? What words can we express the gratitude that fills our hearts? Lord, we thank you for the love which you displayed to us, for the grace that you poured out on us. Lord, for removing that rock from my chest and putting a heart of flesh there. We love you because you first loved us and poured out your love in our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful for that. We just praise you in Jesus' name.